It's kind of interesting. I don't know if you guys noticed it or not, but during our time of worship, there were three songs. The first song had to do really with the Word of God. Uh, the second song had to do with the Spirit of God. And then this last song had to do with the love of God. And it's kind of cool because I think that's exactly where our study goes this evening. We're going to see that here in Nehemiah chapter 8. As we're reminded of the importance of unity among the brethren and then just understanding the Bible. Because look what we read in verse 1. It says, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. Now, all the people, they gathered together as, as one man. Now, clearly that's a reference to, to unity. You'll see that throughout the scriptures in the story of Gideon. That's one of the things that stands out to me. And, you know, the unity of the brethren, how, how important is that? You know, we need to be careful not to hurry up here. It's uh, so important. I think it's better to look up this message of the one man amongst the people of God, you know? You know, I can't help but think of a photo I was blessed to take at the last men's conference. I don't know if we have that photo. I think we do. And I don't know if you guys can see it, but, you know, man, what a great time we had up there with the men. Here they are, locked arm in arm. And uh, it was kind of symbolic of the fact that we were leaving that place united, you know, arms locked together as one man. Just like the Bible says right there, one man. Men with smiles on their faces. We saw that there in the conference, you guys. And this is important for us. You know, I think of that truth that's stated and illustrated in Psalm 133, it's the song of a sense of David. So this is a song that they would sing on their way to Jerusalem. And it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard and the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. You know, and I don't know if you guys can visualize that, but the oil, you know, running over the head, down all the way to the edge of the high priest's garments. And I don't know if you can picture the dew that descends on the mountain of Zion. Zion fundamentally referring to the city of David, but eventually, as you read through the Bible, referring to God's place and God's people of all ages. And so, you know, there's this message, you guys, and I know you can probably say, well, that's not the main point, but to me, it's an important point, the, the fact that they were gathered together as one man. Now, of course, we know this wasn't something that happened overnight. It was something that God had been working in over through the years, the years there, Rubabel, Ezra, then Nehemiah, bringing the people really to this place we're going to see of revival. And so let me just kind of plant that thought in your heart, the importance of unity. Now, of course, we know that's not always easy. I think you guys have heard that saying, uh, to dwell above with saints we love, oh, what a wondrous glory, but to dwell below with saints we know, now that's a different story, right? You guys have heard that, right? And so it's not always easy, but let me just share this with you. It is worthwhile. 
for brethren to dwell together in unity, what we see there in Psalm 133 is it brings blessings from above. It's a pleasing and pleasant place among God's people. You know, most of you know Jesus prayed amongst uh, us for unity. In John 17, 20 through 21, Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone, speaking of his uh, apostles there, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And so when it comes to unity, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, Jesus praying for that, this is actually our opportunity to answer Jesus' prayer request. You know, I read a story of a, of a little child who was in an African tribe who wandered off into the tall jungle grass and could not be found. Although the tribe had searched for this little boy all day long. And so the next day, the tribal members, what they decided to do was hold hands and they walked through the grass together. This enabled them to find the child, but due to the cold night, he had not survived and he died. In her anguish and through tears, the mother of the little boy cried, if only we would have held hands sooner. See, and that's the heart that we need to have if we want revival. And I don't know about you, but I want that. I want God to work in me. I want God to work through me. I want people to get saved and sanctified and surrendered unto the Lord. I believe that God can bring revival in our land. But in order for that to happen, we have to gather together as one man. You know, when a work of God is new, it's, it's probably a little easier to, to be united, right? And this is what they were experiencing in Ezra and Nehemiah's day. But, but for us, I pray that we would do our utmost to stay united, not just in the new work, right? But really, the, the, at the end of the day, it, it's a true work, which brings us to the point that we study today that they gathered together, it says there in verse 1, all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. And so they told Ezra, imagine that, they're all gathered together. I mean, there's probably thousands of people, right? And they told Ezra to bring the book of the law. It's a reference to the first five books of the Bible, the uh, Pentateuch, or, or also the Torah. That's the Hebrew word for the first five books. And, and they're gathered there together in front of the, the water gate. And that's probably not insignificant. Water, we know in the scriptures, is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. It's also symbolic of the Bible. And here's the thing that I, I pray you guys would know that the Spirit of God will use the Word of God to conceive a child of God, that the Spirit of God will use the Word of God to conform us into the image of God. And so here we are, you know, we're in the middle of, uh, you know, whatever, the 21st century, and, and you're like, well, how does this all work? Well, this is how it works, that the Holy Spirit, 
He is here. Uh, Jesus sent him. It's interesting. Ezra, his name means help. The Holy Spirit is a helper. Nehemiah, his name means Yahweh comforts. He's the comforter. It's the Holy Spirit. When the revival comes, it's got to be the person and power of the Holy Spirit. We're open to his gifts. We listen to his voice. We're prompted by who he is as a person. We're surrendered and open and yielded to the Holy Spirit. We do not quench the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, we test all things. The Bible says to test all things. How do we do that? The Word of God. So as we're here today, you guys, we're open to whatever the Lord wants to do by His Holy Spirit. But we know that the Holy Spirit has a sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the Bible. And He will bring revival to His people. When the Spirit of God and the Word of God all come together like we sang today with that beautiful love of God. And we're going to see, it's just amazing to me, you guys. You know, notice what happens here in verse 2. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate. Notice this, from morning until midday. Now, literally in the Hebrew language, it says when the, when the sun shines. And so it's when the, when the sun first rises all the way until the afternoon before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And so these two verses right here, they kind of summarize the day. And it's a very significant day. It's a very special day in the history of the nation of Israel. As we go forward today, we're going to cover verses 4 through 12. We'll get a few more details. But, but this day, it kind of reaches back and then it reaches up to what might be called a pinnacle of time period for the nation of Israel. The, you guys, when you study the, the return, the history of the return of Israel, this day right here is so cool what, what they're celebrating. Because remember when they first went back, they first went back to, to rebuild the temple of God. And then Nehemiah comes back and we see he, he rebuilds the walls of God. And although Ezra had come back probably 12 or 13 years before Nehemiah, it really hadn't come to that climax now because they have the temple of God and they got the walls of God. But now what we're seeing here in chapter 8 is it all comes together with the, the word of God. The, the word of God is so powerful, Right? I mean, the temple of God, the walls of God, and now the word of God, in one sense, everything is rebuilt in the nation of Israel. You know, the temple of God had been built up and finally completed under the leadership of Zerubbabel. We read that in Ezra 1 through 6. The walls of God had been constructed and finished under the leadership of Nehemiah. Right? We read that in Nehemiah 1 through 6. And now the word of God would be used by God through another vessel, his name is Ezra, to call the people back to the Lord wholeheartedly. And he would do so by the power of his word, you see. That was the whole reason Ezra had returned to the land. As a matter of fact, we read in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. The Bible says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and then to teach statutes and ordinances 
in Israel. And that's beautiful. That really should be the heart of every pastor, every teacher, every Christian. Lord, I want to study your word, and I want to live your word. I want to learn your word and live it so that one day I can give it to others, right? And that's the heart of Ezra. You see, the word of God so vital for Israel, for every congregation, and even for every nation, you know? I mean, I was uh, surprised to read those words. Uh, a French author, Victor Hugo, he said over a century ago that England has two books. He said the Bible and Shakespeare. England made Shakespeare, but the Bible made England. Interesting. You know, I think we could probably say something similar to our nation, you know. Supporting that view, historians tell us that England back then was indeed a country of one book, and that book was the Bible, and they were absolutely blessed by God. If only they would return. And I, and I, I think we should have a heart for our nation as well, right? And so right now, of course, we know we're speaking of Israel, and here's Ezra, the high priest, and his desire is to, to learn it and to live it, and then he would just want open doors, right, to teach it. And right here, what we find is that, that his dream, in one sense, comes true. And so it's on, the, it's on the first day, the Bible says, of the seventh month, which was the Jewish equivalent uh, to our New Year's Day, when you look at their civil calendar, this seventh month was a special time in the Jewish calendar because the Jews, they celebrate, we're going to see next time, Lord willing, the Feast of Trumpets on the first day and then the Day of Atonement on the tenth day and then the Feast of Tabernacles, that's the one that they're going to celebrate from the fifteenth day until the twenty-first day. And you read that in Leviticus 23. And so it was a perfect time really for the nation to get right with the Lord and then to make that fresh and new beginning. You know, and I don't know, you know, what's going on for us. We know that when we read the Bible, we don't just read it for information. We read it for transformation. And perhaps maybe there's just someone here that you just need to know God loves you so much that he's calling you to a new beginning, right? It's going to be like a new day for you, a new start for you. I know God wants to do that work. And so here's Ezra assembled, it says, before the men and women. And, and notice there in verse 2, it says, and all who could hear with understanding. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all who could hear with understanding. And so this refers uh, to men and to women, but it also refers to children who are old enough to understand the, the teaching of the first five books of the Bible, which for us, it brings up a couple of issues. Number one, I just want to talk a little bit about understanding uh, as children, and then number two, understanding as adults. And so we start with the children, and you guys need to know this. Uh, if you come to Calvary Chapel, and you might wonder, maybe you came from a different denomination or different background, and you would go into the sanctuary, and all the kids would sit in the sanctuary, and you're wondering, well, why is it that here, you know, my kids go across the hallway into a classroom? And the reason we have children's ministry over in the classroom is because they aren't able to understand this type of teaching geared towards men and women. In those classrooms, they're getting the word at their level of understanding. Even the toddlers are being taught the word of God because I tell you what, 
you know, for them to hear the Word of God at a young age is very important. They say so much of a child is developed by the age of three. And so, you know, they get to hear the Word at their level. But when the day comes and you sense your children are able to understand this type of teaching, please know, and I want you guys to know this, that they are more than welcome to sit in the sanctuary. You know, everyone's different. You know, some kids, uh, they learn faster. I, I know Cheryl Broderson, she's a daughter of Pastor Chuck Smith. She started sitting in the sanctuary when she was only 12 years old. And so everyone's different. So the decision is yours. The, the Lord will show you what to do. But I also want to mention that we have a junior high and high school ministry. They meet in the back room, and that's an option also for our youth to sit and to study in. But it's not mandatory, okay? I think it's good for them to form friendships and to have fellowship with others that are their age. But the bottom line is, they're getting the word just as we're getting the word here. And our prayer is that God would use that ministry, that youth ministry, to help them through what oftentimes is a very difficult time in life, right? Testing time of life, so that they would make the transition into the sanctuary eventually as those we often refer to as young adults. And so really right here, just as a side note, the most important thing is understanding. Understanding the Bible. You know, if you don't understand God's word, then you're going to be in big trouble. As a matter of fact, it's interesting, when Jesus gave the parable of the sower and the seed in the soils, he described the seed as fell on the wayside. And listen to what he said in Matthew 13, 19. He said, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. And so it's not just where well, you go and they preached and I heard and, you know, I laughed. Uh, it was, did you understand it? Because if you don't understand it, well, I read my Bible this morning. I read 10 chapters, man. So, you know, I'm going to get some bonus points or something, right? I'm in good shape. I'm going to defeat the devil. And then a lot of times what happens is because you know, whatever, there's sin in our life or we're not really like approaching God by faith, expecting Him to speak to me. We're not really like you know, paying attention as we're reading we're, when we don't really understand it. Then the devil comes and he takes it away. That's how important it is to understand and we're going to see that's a huge issue in this chapter right here. In verse 2, all who could hear with understanding. Verse 3, those who could understand. We'll see it again in verse 7, and again in verse 10, and then again in verse 12. Lord willing, again next week in verse 13. You know, the Levites are going to help the people understand, and the people would actually rejoice. We're going to see later at the end of the study, because they understood the words that were declared to them. You know, they would get it and grasp it and apprehend and comprehend the meaning of God's message to mankind. And that's huge. You know, the enemy is always trying to keep us from understanding God's message. You know, I'm just blown away when you consider the Catholic Church. For 1,600 years, they conducted their Mass in Latin. It didn't matter what country they were in, didn't matter if the people didn't understand. 
they were dead set in conducting the message in, in Latin. It wasn't until the Second Vatican Council that they changed their ways and allowed it to be conducted in the vernacular of the people, but it's almost as if they were trying or the enemy was using them to hinder them from understanding God's message. If only, you know, they would have read Nehemiah, huh? Or 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians talks about that. He says, you know, there's a time and place for tongues. And, you know, my prayer is that we would speak in tongues, you guys, and we'll have afterglows. But, but Paul said, I'd rather speak five, five words that people could understand than 10,000 words that, that they can't. That's how important it is to understand. You know, I've always loved the story of Jesus uh, pursuing the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. If you remember those two guys, what was happening? They were going the wrong way because they did not understand the scriptures. And so if you guys remember, Jesus is so cool, man. He goes up to them and he just, hey, what are you guys doing? And we're just talking, you know, we're on our way. Yeah, we thought that Jesus was the one, We, you know, all this kind of stuff. But, you know, it turns out that, that you know, he died. And now they say he rose and we really don't know what's up. So we're just going away. And Jesus goes and he starts ministering to them. He starts sharing with them, oh, foolish ones, slow of heart and mind to understand and to believe all that the prophets wrote. And then he goes and then he shares with them. And it's just so beautiful what we read in Luke 24, 44 through 45. He, he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. You see? And that's, that's exactly what we need, you guys. And we're going to see how important it is. You know, Ezra right here, loving the people, loving God, wanting to bring a revival. You know, it's interesting. You go to Cambodia, and, and one of the things that just blew me away is that they would get these guys that were just so out there. Some guy, one of the guys, you know, just uh, mentally off. And you know what they did? They just had them read the Bible. He said, you sit down, you read the Bible over and over and over again, taught him the Bible, saturated himself in the scriptures. And guess what happened? They got healed. Not only did they get healed, they got saved, and now they're being used by God in a powerful way. You know, because this right here, you guys, this Bible that we have, this law of the Lord, it's a living word. It's a working word. You know, Ezra would do a lot of reading that day. It says in verse 3 that he read from morning until midday. Hours and hours of reading. And the ears of all the people, the Bible says, was interesting, were attentive to the book of the law. I mean, think about that. Some of you guys are here, you're not even listening anymore. You're thinking about in and out You're thinking about other things. You know, it's funny, the, the things that the, the devil tries to distract us with while God is trying to teach us his word, right? It's just his word. It's not my word. And, you know, it's just so beautiful to be able to read it. But here's these people. Think about it. They're there for hours. So Warren Worsby said six solid hours just hearing the word of God, and they are still paying attention, you know? And, and the reason is, is this, because when God, God does a work, you have a love for his word. I mean, you really do. I mean, when I wake up in the morning, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend time with God, and I'm going to open up that Bible, not just to teach it. No, my personal devotional time. 
And then throughout the day, I want to listen to, you know, this study, and I want to get into that book that's rooted in the scriptures. I mean, you just love the word. You know, when God does a work, uh, the congregation has an appetite for the Bible. You know, we know today things have changed so much, but back in the early days, you guys, God did such a great work through Calvary Chapel. He really did, you know. One of the things that I always I get blessed is I watch a video, it's called Venture of Faith. I usually watch it every year as a reminder of me, to me, you know, of just the, the, the principles of ministry. But there's one guy on the video, his name is Dr. Duffield, and this is what he said. He said this, he said, One of the things I've always liked about Calvary Chapel is that for the most part, they seem to enjoy long sermons. That's the way he said it. <laughs> You know, he said this. He said, you've heard that saying, sermonettes for Christianettes? Well, you won't find that in most Calvary chapels. You guys got to read, you got to watch the video, man. That's how he says it, right? They enjoy long sermons, right? I mean, I think that we kind of need to get back to that. We are, today, we're in too big a hurry to have the meeting end. Warren Wiersbe said again, in some parts of the world, especially in Eastern Europe, before the collapse of the communist bloc, Believers would stand for hours in crowded churches to hear Bible teaching. Warren Risby said, in the average Western evangelical church, the mentality is this, the shorter the sermon, the better. And that's the way it is now, right? But for us, I pray that wouldn't be our heart, praying that we would love God's word and that we would, we would read it, that we would meditate on it, that we would memorize it, that we would study it, that we would hear it taught, that we would love it, that we would learn it, that we would live it, and then, and then give it out, right? C.H. Spurgeon said, a Bible which is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. And so he said the key to victory are th is three words. It is written, right? I pray you guys would love God's word, that you would get into it, and that you would read your Bible so much that it would fall apart, man, the binding and the pages, and you'd have to get a new one every once in a while, you know. <laughs> we read in, in verse 4, it says, So Ezra, Ezra the scribe, he stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him at his right hand stood uh, Mattathiah, Shema, Anaiah, Uriah, Hilkiah and Maasiah, and his left hand were Pedaiah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. And so here we see Ezra stood on a platform that was built up, partially for the people to see, but primarily for the people to hear. Which is why we have a, a, a mic system, right? Just wanting the people to hear. Here we had 13 guys with him on the platform. And this would, in a, in a certain sense, say to the people that these guys are approved. They're part of this whole thing. They've studied the word and eventually they're going to be cut loose to teach the people. After the public monologue, there would be more private dialogue amongst the people with guys like this and others. And so we read in verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. 
know, most teachers tell us that the people stood up in honor of the word of God, you know. And it's interesting when he, Ezra, he opened it up, literally he, uh, he, he wouldn't, it wouldn't be a book like we have, it would be a scroll, right? And so when he opens it up, can you visualize that? Then all the, all the people, they stand up. You know, I don't know if you guys ever heard of that guy, Damien Kyle. He's a, a pastor up in Cary Chapel, Modesto. I, love, I like what he does. He always opens up his service with, uh, you know, let's rise and we'll read God's word together. And I like that. There's just something about, you know, honoring the word, honoring the God of the word, right? I'll tell you this. I don't know if there's anyone here who uh, was back in Calvary Chapel, West Covina in the very early days. I got saved in 1989. But I remember being there for about four or five years, six, no, six, seven years, something like that. That um, um, it was we would we would be singing, we'd be singing the songs, and when Pastor Raw would go up to the platform, no one had to say let's stand. Everybody stood. Now at first, you know, people might think, well, were they standing for him? And then and then he would always explain, we're standing in honor of the Word of God. And that was just so beautiful. Back then, the movement of the Spirit and the, the love of the Word and the power of what God did in so many lives. Because they, they you know, to me, it's because they stood at the Word of God. That was their hearts, right? And then that's what we see them, them doing here. We read in verse 6, And then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You know, opening in a prayer of praise and honor to the Lord, the people were with them. So be it, Lord, so be it. And then they're, they're lifting their hands, you know. Um, I tell you what, I know a lot of you here, you're afraid to lift your hands during worship, huh? But hopefully, eventually, you will. You know, hopefully, you guys, uh, you feel comfortable with that because what ends up happening is when you start lifting your hands in worship, and when you start lifting your hands in surrender, when you start lifting your hands in God, I exalt you, when you start lifting your hands in Lord, I sur what ends up happening is eventually you reach a point where you can't lift your hand. You can't stop lifting your hands. That's what I'm trying to say. It's like you can't, you know, it's like, oh man, I can't hold them down almost because, you know, that's biblical. It's what we see so frequently in the Psalms. It's worship when it comes from the heart, right? And so here they are, they're, they're lifting their hands and, you know, lifting your hand to receive, lifting your hand to exalt God, lifting your hand, I surrender to you, Lord, right? As they're worshiping. And then they're just, it's almost like God then just kind of like blesses them and is, they're overwhelmed with His presence. And the next thing you know, they're on, on the ground or at least their heads are bowed down and they're just overwhelmed with His presence. Because whenever anyone in the Bible has an encounter with God, they're always on their face. This is a movement of God. It's a movement of God and the people of God. It's a revival, the Spirit of God using the Word of God. And here we see them just, uh, boom, faces to the ground in wonder, in wonderful worship of the Lord, right? And so we read in verse 7 also, Jeshua, or this is kind of cool, Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, 
Shabur, Dai, Hojaija, Maasaya, Kelta, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Pelaiah, and the Levites. This is, a, this is another 13. And then all the Levites, they helped the people to understand, there's that word again, the law. And the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Here we have again 13 more men mentioned along with all the Levites. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. It says, They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. You know, there's no doubt that this is a special day. The Holy Spirit's there, thick and just powerful, right? And so you might wonder, well, then why didn't they all understand? Well, it's because the Lord has chosen oftentimes to use human vessels. Sometimes, praise God, you know, you're reading it, you get it. You might not have the gift of teaching, but praise God because you have the same spirit in you. But for whatever reason, God has chosen to use priests or teachers to teach the people out there in the congregation, right? Because the Holy Spirit will use vessels. They're called teachers. We read it in the New Testament about the individuals that had that gift of teaching, and they've been given the time to study the Word, and prayerfully they would then faithfully teach it to the people, right? And so uh, Warren Wiersbe said this, they probably mingled with the people, and when there was a break in the reading, they answered questions and told them how to apply the, the law to their own lives. Here we have a, a balance between the public proclamation of the word in the large assembly and the personal application in smaller groups. Both are important. I'll tell you what, after you hear a Bible study, if you don't understand it, ask somebody. Don't go home. Well, I didn't really understand what he said, you know. Either A, you got to get saved, <laughs> or B, you got to ask somebody, hey, you know, what did that mean? You can talk to me, the pastors. We've had many guys on this platform, guys that are reading the scriptures to you. Those are guys that you can ask. And you know, as you continue to read the Bible, it's amazing how you can test things that everyone says. You're Bereans, and it's just so cool when God does that work. These teachers here are used by God not to necessarily unveil anything new, but simply to expose that which is true, right? Uh, David Guzik, he compares it to a, a restorer of art. He said this, When an art restorer cleanses a painting, he reveals things that were always there. But the colors weren't as bright and the details weren't as clear because they were hidden. Then the real impact of the painter's work, it hits you. That's all what teachers are supposed to do. It's nothing new, right? It's just all that's true. It's just God's word. And not only that, here's something interesting. It wasn't just a matter of interpretation. That's part of it. It was also an issue of translation because a thousand years had passed since Moses had originally written the law. And so uh, we know language changes and culture. And sometimes these guys that were out in captivity, they might not even know the Hebrew language. Right? So I don't know. It's a lot to this. And so my encouragement to you guys is don't leave without understanding. Okay? I, we'll stay here. I know Henry will. until 1 o'clock in the morning, man. <laughs> you know? 
And, uh, you know, we'll do our best to answer questions. And if we don't know the answer, because we don't have all the answers, no man does, we'll research and we'll pray and we'll ask God to show us. And so in verse 9 in Nehemiah, it says, Who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, they said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Why do you think they wept? There's a, there's a spiritual emotion. There's a biblical conviction, right? They, they probably primarily wept over their sins, right? The judgment that they had experienced as a nation that, that they deserved and the way that they had broken the heart of God. Right, but now it's so cool. Their hearts were broken. They were broken. And I think for a lot of us here, you know what? That then the bottom line is the reason why you're just maybe struggling or you're wondering why is this kind of like it's just distant to me. I'm not really feeling it. I'm not really experiencing it. A lot of times it's because at the end of the day, we're you we're not broken. And God is just saying, come to me, not just part of you, but all of you. Believe in me. Know that I'm alive. Know that my word is alive. Know that I have a calling on your life. Don't just meander through, you know, this world and putt-putt through and try to make money and, you know, you get caught up in the things of this life and the cares of this life. God says, I love you. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Do you know the the power of God that's available to you? And a lot of times I think we're we're just we're not broken. We're not surrendered. I was talking to a guy the other day and he's a he's a he's a a, a big dude. He's strong. He's got the Harleys and as a matter of fact I want to buy one from him, but I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but you know, and he's telling me, "Well, you know, what's my problem? What's my problem?" I said, "You're not broken." I said, you're like a wild stallion. You got so much strength, but you're, you're, you're using it for the, the wrong reason. You need to bring yourself into complete submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to the life that he has for you. And so these people now, as they're, they're there, God is, is there, the Holy Spirit is there, the Word of God is being taught by Ezra, and they're being you know, taught by the people and they're understanding it. Now it, it finally hits home. It begins to hit home. We're going to see it's really cool when we put it all together. You know, they, they, begin, they begin to weep. It's been said that in order to get right with God, all you need is bent knees, wet eyes, and a broken heart, and an open Bible. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, but as they're there, it's interesting, and as they're, they're weeping, you want to know something? The leaders and the teachers, they met them there. They, they intervened in that situation, and they said, you know what, there's no need to weep today. This day is holy to the Lord your God. And Nehemiah and Ezra and these leaders, they live up to that name, Yahweh Comforts. When we get convicted by our sins, and sometimes the devil says, well, why don't you just give up? The Lord just comes and says, absolutely not. 
No way. And he comforts them with the holiness of God that he would redeem us by his blood. You know, we are great sinners, right? Some of you guys, I know you pretty good. And, you know, I'm like, man, you know, but I, I, I look at you and I just get a smile from ear to ear. I'm all, but they're covered by the blood. We are indeed great sinners, but praise God, we have a great Savior. Amen? And so again, verse 9, Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, they said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the soda, and whatever, the wine, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the, the day is holy, and do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and rejoice greatly. Why? Because they understood the words that were declared to them. And so today's study is, 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 is one man gathered together, and there was a lot to get them to that, but it's the unity of the brethren. And then just going through this, amongst other things, the thing that just pops out is the understanding of the Bible. Understanding it. Look what it does. You don't have to weep, man. You can rejoice. Go your way. Eat the fat. Any of you guys used to eat the fat growing up? You know what I'm talking about? I think you should try it again. And just pray for God to cleanse it. No, I'm just joking. I don't know. But we don't do that nowadays. But I remember how it tasted. It was reserved for the Lord. But the Lord said, I want to bless you with this, right? I mean, now he's, he's given it to them. This is a day of joy. And that joy comes, as we read there in verse 12, when we understand the word. Now, why is it that we get joy when we understand the Word? Well, partially because of the simple fact that there is power in God's Word. This is not some abstract truth that you're going to learn in algebra class. I don't care how much you like history, you know, or geography, or all those different classes, you know. It's nothing like learning the Bible. Because it's a living word, it's a working word, right? Something wonderful happens to the child of God who really understands, who receives the word of God. It just resonates within his soul, right? And that's, that's partially the reason, but, but really the primary reason for joy in understanding the scriptures for us who are the people of God is that we are loved and forgiven by God. Now, if that doesn't make you happy, then you're not saved, man. I'm sorry, man. But, you know, praise God. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm free. I'm forgiven, right? As I read this Bible, this book, it's all about the blood of Jesus. You can read the Old Testament. You can get caught up in that, and that's fine. But just don't get lost in it. It's all pointing to the new covenant. It's all pointing to Jesus. It's all pointing to His blood, the Bible says in Revelation 1.5 that washes us from all of our sins. When we place our faith in Christ, 
you know, then, then we're free, we're forgiven, and it should bring joy to us. You know, it's interesting. Joy for the journey, a divine delight. And according to verse 10, notice it says, do not sorrow. This is, a lot of you guys know this, right? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Maybe you're here tonight and you feel weak because you need some of the joy of the Lord, right? You know, there's no doubt that this joy comes into our life and we get a smile on our face and we get a spring in our step and joy is way, way deeper than happiness that is dependent upon circumstances. It's a, it's a life that knows they're forgiven. I, I know. I am forgiven. I'm free. I'm, I'm a blood-bought, bonafide believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I get joy, right? But it's interesting because, you know, um, that, that it's also important, I think, to know what is identified as? It is the joy of the Lord. It's the joy of the Lord. You know, it's His joy. And, and you're wondering, well, how does His joy becoming my, become my strength? It's because He rejoices over you. Did you know that? You know, it's interesting, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible says that one day, and this is interesting, you guys, I don't know, man, this is going to be so cool, but one day when we're in heaven, God is going to sing over us. And it says right here, He will rejoice over you with singing. How many of you are looking forward to that day? When God sings over you. He's like, Manny, I can't believe you're here, but you're here, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, he knows, he knows. I mean, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, man. He knows, right? But man, just that, that the Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What's the joy of the Lord? The joy of the Lord is, is us, forgiven, free, cleansed, Christians. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. I don't know about you, man, but when I read that, I just, I am so overwhelmed. I don't know if you're here today and maybe you need strength. I pray you would know that God loves you, that he died for you, that Jesus Christ, he bore your sins on the cross and they crucified him. But three days later, as he died, he rose again from the dead and he, he just paid the punishment for your sins. And so the Bible says, just come. Come, don't just go to church. I mean, that doesn't get anybody into heaven. You got to go to the cross. You got to go to Christ. You got to come tonight and say, I mean it, Lord, I'm yours. I give you my life. I repent of my sins and receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life. I choose today, I make a decision today to follow Jesus Christ because I know that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when you come to him, it's not a salvation by works, it's salvation by faith. Then, then you're free, you're forgiven. I mean, there's, I know, people that need strength, people that need joy. I pray that tonight, as we partake of communion, that you would look, you would look to Jesus. You would understand the message of the Word of God, really, at the end of the day, is simply the Son of God. And that we, by faith in him, 
become children of God. That's what the Bible says in John 1.12, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You guys know this, that you won't find joy anywhere else in this world? Do you guys know that? Yeah, but Manny, he's rich. Yeah, but Manny, he's buff. Manny, have you seen his car? That You're not going to find joy there. Yeah, but Manny, I got this great new job. And Manny, I feel good, or whatever it might be. You know, you look to the world to, you know, sustain you. And let me tell you something. When your joy is anchored to anything other than Christ, you will be cast into the deepest part of the ocean. Our joy must be anchored to Jesus. It's interesting, and it's actually sad. I read about a comedian. His name was Lenny Bruce who once shared his philosophy of life, and he said this, he said this, he said, look, you only have 25 years to live. Before you're 20, you can't enjoy anything because you don't know what's going on. After you're 50, you can't enjoy it either because you don't have the physical energy to. So he said, you only have 25 years of life to live, so live it up, he said. I am going to swing. That's what he said. But it is so sad, my heart goes out to the comedian Lenny Bruce, because he died of a drug overdose at the age of 40. See, that's the mentality of the world. I just thank God for his word that has preserved my life. How many of you here would be dead were it not for the truth of God's word? I mean, so many of us here, right? I mean, he has reminded us again tonight the importance of unity among the brethren, so we need to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and he's reminded us once again how important it is to saturate ourselves in the scriptures. He'd be like that guy in Psalm 1 who meditates on it day and night. I pray we would allow the truth of Jesus Christ, who is the, the King of kings, that we would allow him to find a home in our hearts. Because if we do, then we really will have joy for the journey. Let me close with one last story. It's about a king who was a particular uh, king that traveled frequently. But one day, a man living near the palace, he remarked to a friend, well, it looks like the king is home tonight. And so the other guy asked him, well, how do you know the king's home? And the man pointed up toward the palace, and he said, because when the king is home, the castle is all lit up. And I just thought about that in my own life. And just for you guys as we close tonight, can I ask you a question? Not, not a routine, not a religion, but, but really, has Jesus found a home in your heart? You know, Ephesians chapter 3, 17 through 19. Let's, let's go there real quick. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in what? Love. May be able to comprehend. Uh, to me, that's understand. <laughs> With all the saints, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height? You know what that is? That's the cross. Huh. To know the love of Christ which, which passes knowledge. That you may be... Filled. This is Paul's prayer. He, he's praying. He's bowing his knees. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church 
by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said,